One of the most personal things that you can do is come alongside someone as they pray. To be given this permission to listen as they express their greatest concerns and desires to God. And that's exactly what we're invited to do in John chapter 17. To hear Jesus' desires and to make them our very own. To hear Jesus' heart, like what he wants most of all, and be shaped by it. Have you ever heard someone praying? Maybe they didn't know you were there. And, and as you were listening, I know, kind of creepy, I know, but you were listening, and maybe you heard them pray for you. I mean, if you've ever experienced, it's just like, wow. That's what we have here. We get to listen in as Jesus prays. There's so much here for us to learn about him, his heart, and what he desires for us. So we'll read a portion of it, then we'll read the rest of it in a little bit. Join with me in John 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. We'll pause there. Let's pray. Spirit, we invite you. We ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Lead us. Bring comfort. 
bring guidance, bring clarity, impart faith, joy, renewal, vision. We trust you. Amen. Three points today. One, Jesus prays for himself. Two, Jesus prays for his disciples. And then three, he prays for those who will believe their message. That's us. So first, Jesus prays for himself. Now, this prayer doesn't just drop out of thin air. It has a context. The context is Jesus' final address to his disciples, to those who followed him for three years. The hour, he says, has come. Now, what's this hour that Jesus says has come, has finally arrived? The hour to be delivered over, the time to be delivered over to the authorities, for Jesus to be falsely accused and crucified, to be lifted up on a cross and to bear the weight of sin and shame, to endure it all for a joy that was set before him, for a victory that he knew was certain. But he knows his time is short. He only has a few hours left before he is arrested. He knows what's ahead. Chapters 13 through 16 really have been his teaching to his disciples. Like he knows he is in the last 24 hours of his life. He will be crucified. And he's imparting to them, to those that he loves so much, what he thinks is most important for them to know and to run with. He wants to comfort them. He's also reminding him that though he's going, he's going to send a helper, the Spirit who will be their comfort and their guide. So we're learning so much about Jesus, and we've been learning so much about Jesus. And I don't know if, if you're anything like me. I just wanted to keep going. I've just been leaning in as we sit around the table with the disciples over the last several weeks, like, yes, I want, I want more. Uh, and, but here he is. He's, he's come to the end of this upper room discourse, and now he prays, and he wants his disciples to hear his prayer. They've heard him pray before, he wants them to hear this one. He wants them to learn from it. And he wants us to do the same. So first, it's important to recognize the fact that Jesus prayed. He prayed a lot. You know, I remember when my, my oldest son Jude was, was really young and, and we, were, we were reading a story of Jesus praying in the garden and he asked the question, is Jesus praying to himself? I was like, wow, that's a great question. Where's your mom? <laughs> Jesus, fully man, fully God, prays to the Father. Here's what's happening. We're invited into a conversation that's been happening for all eternity. We're invited into the community that is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus prayed all the time. His life was marked by it. It's a powerful example for us. It's also important for us to note here that Jesus understood who he was. His prayer reveals this. He asks in verse one, glorify your son. Verse five, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Glorify? Your son, what's this mean? Bring honor, bring praise to your son. Wait, time out. 
What's going on here? Because God doesn't share his glory with anyone. We, we know this. Isaiah chapter 42 and 48 emphasizes where, where the Lord is saying, my glory I, I will not give to another. Jesus 100% understands this. Jesus knows who he is. He knows what he's asking for. It's definitely a claim to pre-existence before the world existed. Jesus is claiming pre-existence. It's also a claim of glory that belongs to God alone. So it's a claim that he is God. In the same breath, Jesus acknowledges that those who have eternal life, who experience age to come life, like here and now have done so because they know the true God and Jesus the King. Jesus Christ, the sent one from the Father, the Messiah, the same breath. Jesus is saying this. It's interesting, here we have this account in John, the Gospel of John. And I've been reading 1 John along with this uh, series. Just personally, I've been reading 1 John. I'm just blown away at how similar John's teaching in his letters are um, to the teachings of Jesus. He says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 23, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Jesus, in the same breath, he puts himself with the true God. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God, one with the Father. This is where life is found. He says they know you, the true God. They know you, not a head knowledge. No, 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 it's deeper than that. It's more intimate. There's this intimate experiential knowledge of the one true God that he says the disciples had. And it was through Jesus. Let's just pause for a moment and ask, do you know the one true God? Do you know him? Do you know him? Have you experienced his love and grace? Have you looked to his provision, to Jesus? Jesus, in just a few minutes before he prayed this prayer in John 14, verse six, he told the disciples, I am, what, the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Who makes those kinds of statements, those kinds of claims? Jesus does. Fully man, fully God. Jesus knows who he is. Verse four, he's saying, mission accomplished. That's what he's saying. I've accomplished the work that you gave me to do. He had accomplished all that the father had sent him to do. And that encompasses what would be accomplished within the next, really, 12 to 20 hours. I mean, just what was before him. He describes that work in verses six through eight. He says, I manifested your name. He's praying now to the Father. He's celebrating what's been accomplished. I manifested your name. Jesus put the Father on full display. Jesus revealed the Father's name. Now, name encompasses everything that is true about an individual. His identity or her identity, his character, authority, 
He's saying, I have manifested who you are, what is true about you. I've put it on full display. Remember when the disciples were saying, show us the Father. Show us the Father and that will be enough. And he says, you've seen me. You've seen the Father. Look with me in John chapter 1. Now this is John's commentary on Jesus. He says in John chapter 1 verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This authority, this has been granted, given to Jesus by the Father. Think of this. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Jesus does. Turn with me also to Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter one, the author of Hebrews writes this about Jesus in verse three. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. What a description of Jesus. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus revealed the Father's name. He manifested his name to the people, he said, whom you gave me out of the world. He says, look, I did this to the people that you gave me, to his followers, that you gave me out of the world. Now remember, the world is humankind in rebellion against God. And and note what Jesus says, the word that he uses, give and gave and given. It's mentioned all over the place in these verses. You gave me these, they were a gift from you, Father. Just think of this. This is how Jesus views those who follow him. A gift. A gift. Such grace here. You gave them to me. I gave them the words that you gave me. They have come to know in truth that I came from you. Very important. That I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. What do you believe about Jesus? We're learning so much about Jesus, about what he believed about himself. It's a summary of why Jesus was sent. This prayer up to this point is a summary of why Jesus was sent. It's a celebration. Do you feel that? There's a celebration going on here of what has been accomplished. And then he turns his attention after celebrating who the Father gave him and he prays for them. Verse nine, I'm praying for them. Jesus prays for his disciples. And Jesus says, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for those that you gave me. Now, Jesus isn't being cold or callous toward the world. Not at all. Don't think of it that way. We've already heard of his love for the world. And in a moment, this prayer will be fiercely concerned for the world. We'll get there. But right now, in this moment of his prayer, he's praying for those who were given to him by the Father. This is just hours from the moment that he will be crucified. And he says, they are in the world. I'm coming to you. So what does he ask for? Verses 11 through 19, he prays for his disciples. 
He says, unite them. That's what he's saying in verse 11. Keep them in your name that they might be one. Protect them in verse 15. Keep them from the evil one. Verse 17, set them apart. Sanctify them in or by the word, but the truth of your word. Let's talk about each one of those requests. Unite them. Verse 11, he says, keep, which means watch, guard, protect. Keep them in your name. In other words, in the power of who you are. By the power of who you are, keep them. Let the truth of who you are, your indwelling power, keep them. Be their fortress and their refuge so that they would be one. Even as we are one, Jesus says. That's his desire. His top request for his followers. And the pattern Jesus gives is the oneness that he shared with the Father. That's the pattern that he gives. The oneness that he shared with the Father for all time. He wants his followers to be one. One. One despite their differences. One in purpose and mission. One in love and vision. We're learning Jesus' heart today. We're listening to him pray. We'll get to this oneness later on in the prayer, but verse 13, it's important to mention, he's saying these things, these things so that they would have his joy. He says, my joy, my is emphatic. There's a fullness of joy. There's a completeness that is found only in Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you have been coming up empty. You've been looking to things, you've been looking to yourself, you've been looking to your accomplishments and you are coming up empty and you know it. It's because there, there is a completeness, a wholeness that is only found, that you were made for, that is only found in Jesus. Nothing greater could be given to us than to experience the joy, the completeness, the fullness that comes only through Christ. And so this is what he's praying for them to have, a fullness of joy that is only found in him. He says, my joy. Previously, he talked about my peace. Now he's saying my joy. Unite them. Then he says, protect them. Jesus doesn't ask the Father to take his followers out of the world. Did you notice that? Not at all. He doesn't ask for them to huddle up and hide out away from all the hostility and hatred. No, here's what he says in verse 15. Keep them from the evil one. This was his prayer for his disciples. He knows that the evil one would, would be bent on their destruction. He knows the tricks and the schemes, the deception and the lies that will come at his followers, both then and today. They were at risk. His disciples were at risk. And so are we. And so he prays, and we need to learn from this, protect them from the evil one. Protect them from being caught in the riptide of the evil one. Verse 16, Jesus's followers are not of the world. That's what he says. In other words, they don't belong to that humanity bent on rebellion anymore. They have different desires and different goals. They have a different allegiance, a new allegiance. Their identity is now found somewhere else. It's not in the world. It's not in that world system anymore. It's in Christ. That's where our identity is to be found. We are new creations. For those who by faith look to Jesus, who trust 
in his life and death and resurrection who believe that he's sent from the Father. We were given new life and a new identity in him. Our lives are hidden in Christ Jesus. We've been made new. It's interesting, another disciple would go on to instruct the churches in a similar fashion the way Jesus is praying for them. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, listen to how he speaks. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is, listen, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. He's describing what we receive in Christ Jesus. It's like he, he keeps coming up with words to try to describe its, its eternal nature, the fact that it's ours and that it's, it's not going to uh, go anywhere. It's imperishable, and it's kept for us who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter knew it. Peter knew it. Protect them, Jesus says, from the evil one. Set them apart, he says. Verse 17, the word sanctify. It means to make holy, to consecrate, to set apart for God's purposes, to be set apart for holy service to God. So the idea here, if, if it helps you, think of the word reserved, just written over your life. You are reserved for God himself. When you call ahead to a restaurant and you, you request some reserved seating, they're yours. <laughs> they're kept for you. You arrive, the place is packed. Isn't it nice? Yes, I have reservations. Thank you very much. I believe those are mine. Walk past everyone who's waiting, who didn't call ahead and make a reservation. They're kept. They're for you. When I asked my wife over 24 years ago to marry me, I, I, I gave her a ring, and, and, and that, that meant she was reserved for me. All right? Hands off. She doesn't belong to anyone else. She's, she's going to belong to me soon. You can't have her. Jesus is praying that the disciples would be set apart, would be holy, sanctified, set apart for God's purposes. How would this happen in their life? Through the word, which is truth. Everything else is to be held up against the word. That is our standard. Sanctification is a lifelong process. From the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus until the day we take our last breath, we are on the road of maturity and growing in Christ-likeness. No one will arrive. No one here will be able to say, well, that was good. I, I did it. <laughs> uh, no, we're being sanctified. We're growing in, in holiness. And, and sometimes we, we, we shift back in areas and we, we lose ground and we grow again in that area because we're being pressed and all kinds of things are coming at us. But the, the, the Lord here is praying that his disciples would be sanctified. Verse 18, he's, he talks about them being set apart, but also sent. I love this. If you're set apart for the Lord's purposes, you are sent. Do you ever think that maybe we have those who, um, they're sent 
say, to foreign lands and other places to minister, and then there's us. We send. Uh, Got to break it to you. We're all sent. Wherever we are, we were sent. Sent sovereignly by God. We were sent to the city of St. Pete, and we're to live as missionaries, as those who are on mission, as those who have the word reserved written across our lives, reserved for God's purposes and for his use, that we would be set apart for his glory, sent to be a light, to invite others in to experience his love and grace. Verse 19, Jesus mentions setting himself apart, that he was consecrated for their sake, set apart, sanctified for their sake. What's going on here? This prayer has been called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Your Bible might even have that as a title over this chapter. Mine does. What's the reason that it's called the high priestly prayer of Jesus? It seems to follow the pattern of prayer. The high priest of Israel would pray on the day of atonement before making atonement for the sin of Israel. Once a year, the high priest would enter the holy of holies, that holy place within the temple, and make a sacrifice of atonement for the people. He would intercede on their behalf. Before entering, he would pray first for himself and then for the people. You can read this in Leviticus 16. But Jesus knew that he was set apart for their sake, for his disciples' sake, for our sake. Jesus knew that he was set apart to give his life as a ransom for many. He had already said that. He was set apart as the only mediator between God and man. He was set apart as the only atoning sacrifice for our sin. And so Jesus is our high priest, and he is our atoning sacrifice. We have a high priest who understands our weakness in every way. Therefore, we can boldly approach the throne of grace and find mercy in our time of need. That's Hebrews 4. We have a once-for-all sacrifice for our sin. Sacrifices don't need to be offered every year. Not anymore. He's the once-and-for-all sacrifice. You can read about that in Hebrews 9. This was celebrated throughout church history, and it's still celebrated today. We celebrate this, that he is our high priest and our once-for-all sacrifice. Everything the sacrificial system was pointing to was about to find its fulfillment in Jesus just a few hours from this prayer. So Jesus was set apart for their sake and for ours. He was set apart in his death so that the disciples could be set apart in their life. Finally, Jesus prays for those who will believe their message. He prays for those who will believe their message. That's us, because that message message has reached our ears. It's changed our hearts, our lives. We've been drawn in. We've come to faith. For those who believe in Jesus as Savior, as the Son of God, the only atoning sacrifice for our sin, we own up to the fact that we are broken and bent and in need of redemption. Uh, We've looked elsewhere and and in other places for satisfaction, and we, we, we realize, wait a minute, we were made for the one true God. We were made to follow him, to know him in a, in a living way, a real way. So if we're, looking, if we're looking at a bunch of pictures, say, of someone's vacation, and there's one of us in it, 
Finally, right? We're like, oh, let's look at that one again. Um, we kind of perk up, right? If we overhear a conversation and then we hear ourselves mentioned, we're like, mm, I'm going to jump into that conversation. What you talking about? We usually pay closer attention. This is, this is what's happening here. Let's, let's read in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is a bit like reading about a historical hero and discovering a letter of theirs and its content is about you. Be strange. Like, wait, what? He's writing about, she's writing about me? Jesus, is, Jesus prays for everyone who will believe in him through the testimony of his disciples. That's the church, capital C, church. That's the people of God from every age who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. Followers of Jesus from every generation, including you and me. And so what is Jesus' desire? What's his deepest concern? What does he want most of all for us? This has got my attention. I, I want to know. He prays for our unity, that we would be one. Four times in three verses, Jesus prays that we would be one, that the overflow of our spiritual union with him and the love that we've received in him would shape our love for one another, that the overflow of our spiritual union with him and our, the love that we've received from him would shape us through and through in our love for one another. The pattern to follow, Jesus and the Father, that mutual love and honor that exists for all time between them. That's the pattern. This isn't just an organizational unity, like let's go to the trop, all the churches in the city of St. Pete, let's sing some songs together. I mean, that would be fun. This isn't just an organizational unity. It's deeper than that. This unity is bigger than our distinctions. It's greater than what divides us. And it's essential for our witness. The reason he gives that he's praying this way is verses 21 and 23, so that the world may believe that you sent me, so that the world may know. We've already heard Jesus' teaching on our call, our, the call that he's given us to walk in love. We heard this in John 13. John 13, verse 34, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. 
By this, by what? By our love for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's how they will know. That is our greatest witness, our greatest apologetic, our greatest defense of the faith is our love for one another. Not winning an argument, not putting on big events, our unity and our love. Jesus knows this. He knows this. The whole prayer comes down to love. Don't underestimate its powers, the the power of love and unity. It's, It's how we got here in the first place. It's how we got here. We received his love. We observed his love in others. I mean, do you hear the longing of Jesus' heart for us? Do you hear it? Do you hear the longing of Jesus' heart for the world? He's, he's turned his attention now to the world that he wasn't praying for earlier. But now he's, he's concerned for the world, that they would come to know, that they would come to believe, and that they would do so as they observe our unity and love. And so repentance is needed where we've refused or where we've written other followers of Jesus off. We've refused to be reconciled, where we've allowed unforgiveness to exist or where we've looked down on or talked bad about others and we've we've written off other uh, denominations or uh, churches in the city. Uh, Look, we've all witnessed division and, and, and competition and And all that goes with that, jealousy. We can't be more concerned about our logo and our brand, who we are as a church and how much what we're doing over the unity and the love he's called us to walk in. That that really shouldn't be our concern at all. What? What? That's ugly. What is this about? What is this about? It's about walking in love and allowing the truth of the love of Christ to be seen visibly on display through our sacrificial love for one another. What if we make it our ambition to walk in love and unity? Oh, it's not going to be easy. We need the Spirit. Thankfully, we have the Spirit. But Jesus is praying for it. That's what Jesus is praying for here. Are we praying for it? He knows the fruit that that will produce. He's convinced of it. Are we convinced of it? Do we know what love will do? Do we know what love and unity will do in the city of St. Pete? We keep looking to other things to produce what only love can do. I'm not talking about compromise. I'm not talking about compromising the gospel, not in any way. I'm talking about living united and set apart lives. Walking in love. So we'll have to push against the radical individualism of our day. So when we do that, the love of Jesus will become visible and undeniable. So imagine, allow your imagination to be filled with a vision of what that will produce here in St. Pete. Just for a moment, allow your imagination to be filled right now with a vision of what that will produce here in St. Pete. Are you convinced that Jesus has called us to live as a unified people whose priority is love? 
Are you convinced that the world, the watching world, will come to know Jesus, to know his love as they observe it in us? Saturday nights, I pray for you. I pray for you at other times, but I pray for you every Saturday night. Go for a walk around my block several times. Occasionally, one of my kids or a visiting friend will join me on that prayer walk. We have joined Jesus here. We've heard him pray. And we've, we've heard what matters most to him. Is, is it going to matter most to us? In the remaining verses, verses 24 through 26, Jesus' prayer comes to a close and his expressed desire is even more personal. He wants us to be with him where he is. Do you see that? He wants us to see his glory, to give our full attention to what matters most, to give our full attention to his glory, to personally experience it. He wants the love that he shares with the Father to be in us, and he wants us to experience his empowering presence. Wow. Maybe you came here wondering if God thinks about you. Maybe you came here wondering and maybe a little convinced in light of what you're going through that God, he's been indifferent, uninvolved in your life. Let John 17 just fill your heart with joy. Let John 17 confront that lie. Here is Jesus, the son of God, praying for you. Hear his desire for you. This is the heart of Jesus for you. These are his deepest longings for us. These are his greatest desires. Will will they shape us? Will they become ours? I mean, this is what he wants most of all. Will it shape our prayers? Will it shape our life? It's a peak. We've been given a glimpse into the heart of Jesus. (laughs) What's it doing to you? How's it shaping you? How will it shape us? Keep returning to this prayer. Pray it. Unite us. Protect us from the evil one. Sanctify us. Pray it for others. Pray it for yourself. Unite us. Protect us from the evil one. Sanctify us. Help me to see and experience your glory, your love, this love that you've always had between you and the Father. You want me to experience. I I want that love to deepen in my heart. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will unite us, that you will lead us to places of repentance where we've written others off or have torn others down. Will you deepen our desire to stand as one? Will you protect us from the evil one? We want to live set-apart lives, reserved for your purposes. And so we pray that the truth of your word will shape us, will be our joy and our standard. As the world looks into our lives, we pray that your love would be visible and undeniable. As a result, we pray that many here in St. Pete will come to know your son and experience his love. 
Give us the same longings. Give us the same desires. Shape us. In Jesus' name, amen.